Hello and welcome to the Superposition Guys podcast. My name is Yuval, and my guests today are Moray Tom, VP of Product Management at D-Wave, Sam Lorenzo, CEO at InspirationQ, and Sergio Gago, Managing Director of Quantum Computing at Moody's Analytics. Moray, Sam, Sergio, and I discuss quantum and non-quantum approaches to solving the traveling salesperson problem, benchmarking for TSP, how companies should approach optimization problems, and much more. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, Moray. Hello, Sam. Hello, Sergio. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hey, Dubal. Hey. Good morning. Good afternoon. Yeah. Nice to be here. Nice to be here. So, Moray, who are you and what do you do? Uh, my name is Murray Tom. I'm the Vice President of uh, Product Management at D-Wave Systems. Uh, D-Wave is the leading provider of quantum computing systems, software, and services. Um, we're producing uh, two models of quantum computing systems, and we're laser-focused on bringing people business value uh, in their practical quantum hybrid applications. And Sam, who are you and what do you do? Yeah, uh, my name is Samuel Fernandez Lorenzo. Uh, my first background is in physics. Uh, I have a PhD in quantum technologies. Um, previously, I led the research of quantum computing in finance for BBVA. And now I'm co-founder and CEO of uh, InspirationQ. InspirationQ is a spin-off of the SIC, uh, the largest public research institution in Spain. And our mission is essentially to, to offer quantum advantages in the short term. So we develop our own quantum inspired and quantum algorithms, as well as specialized solutions in the finance industry at the moment, but with a very pragmatic vision uh, because we prefer to work with uh, only those backends that may provide uh, short-term advantages. Excellent. And Sergio, who are you and what do you do? So uh, thanks, Yuval, for having me here today. Uh, my name is Sergio. I am the Managing Director of Quantum Computing at Moody's, and I'm also the editor at the Quantum Pirates newsletter, uh, sharing with uh, everyone the news of what happened in the weekend in quantum. And I am a lover and longtime partner of the traveler salesman problem, which I think is what brought us here today. Excellent. I should have asked you what who, who are you and what do you not do? Because you do so many things. But let's talk about uh, TSP, traveling salesperson problem, which is one famous kind of optimization problem. Um, Maury, would you explain to us what TSP is about and why is it so popular and important? Sure. Well, let me let me take a shot at it. And Sergio, I mean, being a fan that he is, I'm sure can probably uh, improve on the answer that I give. Uh, you know, traveling salesman problem is um, a very common problem that's uh, well known. It's, it's about the notion of someone who needs to go out. It's a, a salesperson. They're going to visit a number of customer sites and they need to find the optimal route to each of those customer sites so they can reduce the, the distance traveled. Um, so, you know, if you imagine they're going to, you know, sites, if they have customer sites A, B, C and D, should they do them in that order or should they start with B and then go to A and then go to C and to D? Um, and so basically, if you have a, a small number of sites that way, you can set up all the combinations and look at them and say, OK, which one is the shortest? Um, but as you add new sites to that problem, um, the problem complexity grows exponentially. And so um, it's a fantastic problem from the perspective that it's an example of uh, an NP hard optimization problem where you've got this huge solution space that you're trying to look through. Um, there's a variety of solutions, you know, on average solutions are not particularly good. 
um, with quite a bit of work, you can you can improve solutions and, and get good operating solutions. And then you have to do an enormous amount of work to try to find op, like optimal solutions. And then more work still if you want to prove that those solutions are optimal because the solution spaces are so large. Um, so in my experience, you know, as you know, D-Wave, we've been helping people to tackle their sort of industrial uh, optimization problems, scheduling problems, uh, logistics. You know, traveling salesman is a really helpful example to uh, raise with people so they can make a connection to the problem types that are suitable for quantum computing technology. Um, and, you know, an important part of high value applications in industrial optimization. Um, however, in our experience also, um, immediately after starting there, then you have, you know, you have to work quite a bit further to get into like people's actual industrial challenges. You know, a traveling salesman actually has like a, an important component of like industrial optimization challenges, but there's usually a lot other, a lot of other constraints and factors that you're trying to take into account, which, you know, as we're talking about traveling salesmen, like approaches to, to finding good solutions, you know, those heuristics that we might use get, you know, the choices we make and the, and the way that we optimize them gets complicated by, you know, the real world situations that, that people are dealing with. And I think traveling salesperson is not just about a salesperson, right? They all do things on Zoom anyway these days, but it could be a UPS truck that's got multiple deliveries and, and even the optimization criteria may vary from problem to problem. And maybe you want the minimal amount of time, maybe you want the mo most fuel efficient route. Uh, is that correct? Yeah, that's an excellent uh, point. So um, there are you know companies that have looked at routing vehicles for garbage collection. Um, uh, for instance, Groovenauts and Mitsubishi, Mitsubishi have done work uh, like that with our systems in order to reduce the CO2 emissions. So really, that's sort of like an application where people are, are trying to impact some large global challenges. Uh, and you know, there's benefit to the business in terms of increased efficiency, and then there's benefit to the world in terms of reduced emissions. Um, and you know, just like you said, that's that's the practical reality where it's not just one vehicle visiting all sites. So you also have choices to make in terms of how different resources, in this case vehicles, get assigned to different areas of the, of the routes that are going to be run. Uh, and that's also not unlike uh, manufacturing floors, where people are delivering resources from you know where they arrive at the shipping location and then get them out to the you know, manufacturing locations. Um, where you, you've got a fairly complicated vehicle routing problem as you're trying to basically imagine that material moving across the floor and arriving at those uh, fabrication, fabrication locations uh, just in time. And Sergio, I think that uh, TSP is not a quantum problem necessarily. It was uh, formulated a long time before quantum came into vogue. Could you tell us a little bit about various classical or quantum approaches or quantum inspired approaches to solve these kind of optimization problems? Right. So uh, India, the DSP is not necessarily a, a quantum problem. It's a problem that potentially, hopefully, can be solved in a more efficient way with quantum computers or quantum inspired algorithms. Uh, but it's I, my guess is that one of the most explored and analyzed and studied problems in computational complexity in the world. There may be others, but uh, certainly this is one of the of the top five, if I could uh, if I could guess. Uh, the other point is that there is not just one TSP or vehicle routing problem. Uh, there's actually, to my knowledge, at least three of them. Right, one of them is the uh, uh, satisfiability problem. So if I have this budget or this amount of available kilometers or, or route to cover, is there a solution, yes or no? And this problem 
may be more easy or uh, more difficult than the others. And there is the actual optimization problem where it says, hey, for this graph, for this specific list of nodes or cities or uh, 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 parts that my robot has to traverse uh, across in a factory, um, what is the best route, the most efficient, as you said, in terms of uh, uh, energy spent or, or uh, kilometers or centimeters uh, uh, traversed? And, uh, and then there is the, the search problem itself. Give me, if it exists, the, the route with this specific amount of weights or this, this, this matrix that I want to, to output. Uh, the optimization problem is the one that's NP-hard, uh, I believe, whereas the search itself is NP-complete. So we talk about one, one single problem. And then, of course, we add like how many hubs or depots we, we want to put, how many different uh, 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 buses or, or, or delivery boys we can put on the, on the map. So there has been hundreds, possibly thousands of researchers working on, on, on the TSP. And I think we humans have become really good at finding heuristic solutions. Right. So there's one thing that's common, and I think it's unbeatable, at least classically, that is an NP family problem. So of course, the, the complexity is going to grow exponentially or more uh, with, the, with the size of the problem. Uh, and of course, we have all those challenges around in a couple of universities in the States who are trying to beat themselves all the time. Um, but so a, a few decades ago, there was the Christophides algorithm uh, that is one of the, the main ones out there that people is using today. Branson bound uh, in terms of optimization, optimization is the one that um, not just for the TSP, but for many optimization uh, problems out there is, is uh, uh, quite famous. And then uh, simulated annealing problems, and I guess this is a nicely way into, into the wave, uh, simulated annealing is one that fights all the time with two other families, genetic algorithms, and, and the more naive ones, like nearest neighbor and, and, and stuff like that, that will probably rely a lot on what type of matrix you have. So nearest neighbor may be the most quickest and easiest solution for a specific graph, but a terrible one for another graph. Um, so I think one, one good point to consider is, is there a better algorithm for a type of TSP or for a specific data set, right? That, that would be a nice uh, discussion to have. And Sam, um, you said that you focus on near-term solutions to these kind of problems. Could you describe the technology that you're using today, how would your company solve a TSP problem? And if I were a customer today, I'm listening to this podcast, I'm excited by this problem. I reach out to you, we're, we're now in 2022. How large of a TSP problem can I solve with your technology? Yeah, uh, one aspect that uh, I would like to, to highlight, uh, often overlooked, is that the mathematical encoding of a use case is as important as the backend or the algorithm you use to solve it. Now, I like uh, D-Wave machines, uh, and surely it is one of the backends that uh, we plan to work with uh, soon. However, D-Wave is at the moment restricted to, to the same encoding, the quadratic unconstrained binary optimization, aka Q problem. Uh, you can encode the TSP problem in this uh, mathematical shape, but it's not efficient, as you get a, an encoding that grows exponentially with N squared and being the number of places you want to visit. Uh, so the potential speed advantage that you might get using D-Wave 
for this particular uh, use case, uh, you may very well lose it with this encoding. Now, to overcome this uh, anticipation queue, uh, we are developing a specific quantum-inspired algorithms uh, for the TSP problem. Uh, indeed, we already have a, a first uh, solution to it. And I think there is uh, room for improvement to tackle uh, problems with uh, thousands of theories. What does, um, and Mora, I'd let you augment that in a second, but what does quantum inspired mean? Uh, Sam, that's for you, please. Yeah, uh, yeah quant quantum inspired algorithms, uh, actually, it's a, an emerging uh, technology. It's a technology in itself. Uh, it's essentially using, it's not just simulating uh, how a quantum computer works. It's just using using all the uh, mathematical tools, method, methods developed uh, during these last decades, uh, all the people working in the quantum uh, information uh, field, uh, there's been a lot of improvement in the uh, methods, numerical methods that, that they've employed to simulate uh, or to understand, to study quantum systems. And now the idea is to use all those methods to uh, and apply them to problems like the TSP problem or other problems use ideas or encodings taken from all these problems that we are studying with the you know, D-Wave and other technologies and, you know, combining all these ideas to produce new algorithms, new techniques. So, yeah, this is a whole emergent uh, technology uh, that in many cases we've seen that uh, they are able to improve previously uh, classical algorithms. And, you know, in summary, this, all these, the, 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 uh, the collection of all those all these techniques it's essentially what we call quantum inspired technology. Uh, well, and the benefit is that we can tackle problems that uh, are also compatible with future uh, quantum backends. So I think it's a very pragmatic way to, to tackle this uh, quantum feature, and that's what we do. And Murray, um, you've published hundreds of different applications and use cases of optimization. What's your current state of the art for TSP type problems? Well, that's an interesting question. So um, maybe the thing I should comment on as an observation is that the, um, I'll just pause here for a sec. The, um, when we're thinking about the approach that D-Wave is taking a traveling salesman problem, we're really focused on practical applications. And there it's, it's very important to recognize the distinction between the types of algorithms you're going to use to solve traveling salesman problem and what the quantum processor does. Um, if you think about it, at like if we look at like past industrial revolutions, you know, the, the main industrial revolution was powered by a steam engine, which produced rotary motion. And the information age was powered by classical computing, which can do addition and multiplication blazingly fast. So quantum computers are able to draw solutions from these cubo problems that Sam was introducing um, with very high efficiency. Uh, and those problems are combinatorial in nature, which means that um, you're looking through uh, a problem that say, like, I would like to pick a set of players for a sports team. I have a pool of players and I'm going to pick the ones that are the best. But once those players are on the team, they don't have a particular order. They're on the court playing together. In a traveling salesman problem, the order of the cities that you visit makes a difference. So if you, sit, if you visit A and then B and then C, that's not the same solution as A and then C and then B. And for exactly that reason, the problem formulation uh, issue that Sam was just describing um, means that you don't want to try to brute force it directly onto a quantum either. So if you just try to take a very natural 
like a straightforward description of a traveling salesman problem and put it onto one of our quantum processors, you might get tens of cities. And if you compare that to, let's say, you know, the best in the world, like Concord, you can get up to tens of thousands of cities. Uh, and what's more, you can prove optimality at like hundreds or thousands of cities in, in just a few seconds or minutes. So in terms of, you know, one of the reasons why classical algorithms could do so well at Concord is that, you know, there are a lot of um, simple observations you can make, which is that when you're routing a single vehicle across a route, it's on a surface. It's not moving in three dimensions or higher dimensions. Um, and so, you know, by, by recognizing all of those constraints about mapping vehicles on the surface of the earth, you can actually help classical computers do extremely well at large sizes. Um, but kind of to the discussion we were talking about earlier, there are many problems in vehicle routing or uh, planning the deliveries of fleets of vehicles where you have a number of other constraints that are at its heart. So the way that we look at applying quantum annealing to this, to this problem is by finding encodings where, you know, you're... This is actually very much like the, the classical solution space. You're starting with a feasible solution, and then you're looking to make exchanges. You're finding areas of high cost, and then you're looking to make swaps, swaps that basically keep you in a, a feasible space. It's a loop that doesn't break. Um, and you can use the types of problem solving that quantum annealing provides to, to do those kind of movements in the solution space in a hybrid algorithm. And it's important for keep, people to keep in mind that it's not about quantum or classical. You know, we've, we've probably done about 10 years of benchmarking, learning what the best capabilities of those two technologies are in order to understand how they, how they solve problems. But they have complementary skills, right? Classical computers are very good at local updates. And quantum computers seem to be remarkably good at non-local updates where they can move between large areas of the solution space. And that's an important part of problem solving is like when you get locked into a particular solution, just doing one swap or exchanging two cities is not going to get you out of that. You need to kind of reconfigure a portion of the problem. Um, and that's where we're applying quantum computing to, to these hybrid solutions. And that's what's allowed us to get to, you know, uh, industrial optimization challenges in, you know, vehicle routing when we've looked at, uh, you know, uh, support vehicles that are delivering, you know, water or food supplies or vaccines out to, out to locations is, uh, is by taking that hybrid approach. So if, if I may add, and there are so th thanks, uh, Mary, for add, uh, adding Concord. If, I, if I'm not mistaken, that's basically uh, very low-level C optimizers on linear programming that try to optimize to the, to the <laughs> tiniest bit, uh, both the in-memory of the combinations, right, and the and uh, the actual formulation of the problem, also echoing on, on what both of you are saying on the domain is super important. Uh, and how you do the mathematical formulation of it uh, as well. Uh, but I, I would like to dig a bit deeper on the efficiency, uh, whether it is tied to, to a specific problem or to the more general formulation. If you, we take the, I don't know, the Eisen, the traditional Eisen formulation for, uh, uh, for, for the TSP. Yeah. So we have Concord, we have the OR tools, which are also really, really efficient and work pretty well for a lot of real world problems today with the sizes that we have today. Uh, we have also companies like, like Wurobi, for example, doing really good classical optimizations as well with very specific proprietary algorithms as well. Um, so when we talk about efficiency, um, are we talking about a, a orders of magnitude uh, on, on, on solving the problem or 
small steps to, on, on that, or maybe finding solution, heuristic uh, solutions that we could not find before? Yeah, that's a great question. So, I, I mean, I think it's very natural for practitioners who are working in this space to think of quantum annealing as a kind of heuristic, you know? Um, it's, it's something where it's, it's part of a technology stack that they're putting in place in order to build, you know, uh, solutions in, in their application domains. Certainly, industrial optimization, you know, brings a lot of challenges to it. Not just, can I come up with a good plan, but can I come up with a good plan that a workforce is actually going to use, you know? Because the driver on the road is the one in the traffic who can basically choose to deviate from a plan. So you, you, um, you, you've got a lot of those hard factors and also those soft factors as you're looking to make those improvements. Um, certainly, you know, as we have been looking at and understanding how quantum mechanics can be turned into useful work for us, we realize that, you know, proving optimality, even in the sub pieces that the quantum annealer is actually contributing is not the quantum computer's role, right? The quantum computer is basically helping to do these fast reconfigurations. Um, so I would say that by the time you see its effect in the, the business quality result, you're looking for um, not something that's going to suddenly change the business operations capability by a thousand times. I mean, it would be fantastic and terrible if that happened in terms of the disruption to the business with that kind of a, a rapid change. Um, but something that more increases the efficiency, although, you know, practically what we find is as soon as you increase the efficiency, the business will then grow. Or they'll be like, yeah. oh, there's some other factor to this that we would like to now include that we've always had to include from our problem solving. And they'll bring that in and that complexity will go up. So really the approach is, you know, everyone who's, you know, running businesses, which is bound by problems that are this complex, you know, you will always hit a ceiling. No quantum computer or classical computer will ever be large enough to reach your ambitions in terms of how big of a scope you would like to run. And so by combining quantum and classical computers together, you're effectively helping to push that ceiling as far up as you as you can. And you're also doing it in a way where you're setting yourself up to take advantage of, you know, CPUs, GPUs, and QPUs, you know, basically all as your compute resources in the future. Because you certainly don't want to be in a situation, let's say like in material science, you know, we've done some experiments in quantum material simulation where in two product generation, product generations, we went from not being able to solve problems to being 3 million times faster. If that happens in your business, you've got to now redesign all your application infrastructure. And that's that's the negative part of disruption. But if you start building your applications with all these technologies incorporated together in a hybrid manner, you're effectively getting all the gains of the technology and of the algorithms as they change on top of one another. Um, and that's where I think um, people are seeing real value today as they're using the technologies. So I've learned that um, from, from you guys that it's important how you express the problem and that there are multiple ways to... Uh, run it on the back end, whether classically or uh, on a quantum computer. Now there are also hardware solutions, you know, FPGAs that are implementing icing models. So a question to all of you, maybe Sam first and then Murray and then Sergio, how should a customer go about choosing the best provider, the best technology to solve a TSP problem? I'm, I'm, I'm a customer, I'm motivated, I can understand that even a 5% improvement in my business is a huge has a huge financial impact how should i go about making that choice <clears throat> yeah uh, the best i think depends uh, on your needs right um i think that in any optimization problem like the tsp problem uh, there are there are at least three dimensions uh, we need to care about 
these dimensions are interdependent, so we cannot uh, reduce the problem to any of this. And human beings, we try to uh, many times oversimplify things. Um, so the, the first could be the number of variables, and in this case, the number of cities, right, uh, you want to visit. Uh, second, the quality of the solution. And third, the amount of resources, uh, say time, say number of processors, uh, etc. So in summary, your budget, right? Uh, depending on what you demand uh, in this decision space, you may choose one option or another. Uh, maybe, maybe you want a fast uh, online calculation uh, with uh, few resources, uh, even if you don't get the best solution, because what you want is really a fast solution. Or maybe it's really important, as Tom was saying, that it's very important for you to have a very optimized solution, even if that takes more uh, time and more resources. Uh, so probably there is no single algorithm or backend that is going to be uh, the most suitable in any circumstances. So you have to first ask yourself what your constraints are and then to analyze uh, the best solution, but knowing very well uh, what you really want there. Okay, so, I mean, the way I would answer that question, uh, because that's a very difficult question, so, so the, um, and the reason why it's challenging is because there are so many people coming at this problem or experiencing this problem in so many different ways, right? They might be thinking, do I want to build my own solution for this? Do I want to buy the purchase a solution for this? Um, and certainly, uh, there's also a lot of depth to it, right? I mean, I have, you know, gone through exercises, you know, as a product manager and being like, what is my customer's experience? Well, if you start going and doing search for industrial optimization, whew, the world of stuff that basically falls on you at that point, uh, it's amazing, you know, and it's like, well, you become an expert in algorithms. And then it says, you know, become an expert in tuning the parameters of those algorithms. And then it's like, become an expert in analyzing which of those algorithms is contributing on which instances on a given day. Um, when I'm talking to math experts, that's the world that they're immersed in. But a business leader who's trying to pick an, like a solution, they're thinking about things like, well, even if I do run on the best technology in the world, you know, I have to make sure that I have high uptime and I have, you know, high quality solutions. My software is not going to break, that this is going to be updated and maintained over time. So, you know, I think that people are looking at, you know, composite classes of factors when they're trying to make this decision, which is that, you know, and it's sort of like, I want good people, I want good processes, I want good technology, right? So they're going to meet with a team and they can be like, does this team have experience? Do they have the ability to understand my problem, to design a problem that's suited to my experts and what their needs are in operations? Um, then they're also going to be looking at, okay, what are the processes we're going to use? Are we going to be using agile development method? Can we do continuous deployment? Um, are we going to be... Um, you know, am I, am I working with a group of folks who are, you know, very conservative and we need to gradually enter this new operating process into it. That's an important business decision at the time that you're picking a solution provider. And then on the technology side, it's sort of like, you know, in the best case scenario, <clears throat> I don't want to be trying to pick winners, right? So that, that's, that's a big part. It's our customers who basically um, drew us into the direction of, of building hybrid solutions because, you know, Sarah, Samuel was mentioning earlier about quantum inspired, there was a lot of work done on CPUs with simulated annealing initially. And that was sort of a big test bed against quantum annealers to see what they could use. And when the quantum annealers started beating simulated annealing, they started to explore and say like, oh, you know, the quantum processor actually has access to this big memory space. Let's make a classical quantum inspired version of that, 
using a GPU. And now we'll basically create slices of the memory space of the solution spaces we're searching. And, and now you're incorporating a, a graphic profit process unit. Both those have contributions to make. It's not that one is better than the other. Um, and you know, now we basically have you know nature papers basically showing that quantum annealing can reach high quality solutions, you know, faster, like fundamentally faster than any classical thing can possibly do. So on the technology side, it's kind of like, well, <clears throat> how do I get the best benefit on all of those things? And, and keep in mind that the technology is not just the processor, it's also the deployment infrastructure, your ability to scale up and scale down. You don't want to be using these resources when they're not, your problems are not actually running. Um, and so people are thinking about it in that broader IT context and making sure that solution suits them there. So I think I think people processes and technologies is, is how people judge those providers. So I'm, I'm going to try to put the the perspective of the non-vendor, uh, or better say, the, the user of, of those algorithms, both classical and, and quantum. I, I, I will start with saying that I think both the Wave and, and uh, Inspiration Q solutions, among others, right, are really good, really smart, and really efficient, having personally seen both of them. So, so uh, the first thing is kudos to, to, to both of you guys, uh, because you're definitely trying to do something that I've tried for um, most of my professional life, which is solving the TSP, right? So thank you for that. Uh, uh, hopefully we get there together um, soon. Uh, I think one of the problems that we have out there is that in some cases we are mixing layers of conversations. Uh, we talk business, then we talk engineering, and then we talk uh, algorithmia, algorithmia, right? Uh, our computational complexity. If we keep the conversation on each layer, then we make sure that we're talking at the same level, but sometimes those conversations start to mix uh, and, and then it, it's a bit chaotic. Um, so, and, and I think you, you touched, uh, Marie, on, on, on a lot of those points, like what is it going to be the integration, uh, how it will look like, how it will improve over time, how my problem will evolve over time. I think you, you touched on a really good point that we've seen over and over uh, with, with AI, cloud computing and stuff like that, how, okay, now we, we have better machines or better technology to do things. So now let's tackle more things. So we are like gases, right? We always use all the <laughs> available space that, um, that, we, that we have uh, um, at our disposal. Uh, if we start from the, from the ground level, computational complexity, I think we need to get into an agreement and I'm not sure if this is today the place for it or not, but um, there's a lot of conversation on what is BQP, what is NP, and can can we achieve quantum advantage for general NP, NP problems, right? And if we enter in that conversation, it's it, it's a whole uh, you know it's opening a can of worms that uh, probably we would need a three-hour podcast or thirty-hour podcast and more people to come in and and uh, and comment. Um, so maybe we can agree on 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 something that I think both of you say that is um, sometimes is about the local efficiency for your type of problem and improving what you have today. You don't necessarily have to go into claiming quantum advantage or claiming claiming uh, uh, P equals NP. Uh, um, otherwise, some of us would have a lot of money uh, in, <laughs> in, in that regard. Um, so let's say that there is a business advantage on, on how we do things. From the, from the user perspective, there is one thing that I do, uh, I would really like to see, which is more 
business uh, side benchmark. And on the TSP specifically, uh, and many other problems as well, you can see plenty of, of, of that classical benchmark. You mentioned simulated annealing, uh, which is really good. Uh, genetic algorithms, that tends to be very good for certain models or certain type of problems or certain uh, uh, data sets. Um, and the same can be applied to many other complex and not complex problems, right, uh, at the end of the day. Um, perhaps is because the, the classical algorithmic uh, problem has been around for much longer and it is more mature uh, in a way. And of course, quantum is still uh, in its earlier stages of the, of the technology. But to your question, Duval, what would be nice to have or how would a client choose which one? Well, that benchmark could be extremely efficient or extremely useful in order to help each other improve on what we have. Uh, and I think that's the beauty of quantum and, and, and quantum inspired that we keep pushing each other on, on improving the other thing, right? There, oh, there's now post-quantum algorithms. Suddenly we have much better classical uh, uh, encryption algorithms uh, that have nothing to do with quantum, but just the, the ecosystem itself helped push, the, um, push the, the, the boundaries of what we thought was possible. Um, so for me, it's pure benchmark and say, hey, this is how far we can truly get in time, accuracy, or cost, which are at the end of the day, the three things that, that matter to companies uh, or a combination of the three. And sure, some, some cases will require uh, speed ups on the calculation time at the uh, expense of some accuracy, because uh, as you say, Marit, you, you need to be more reactive to, to soft uh, variables. Uh, in some cases, you just want to get something as cheap as possible and put it out there in the market. Or in some cases, you want the bloody best solution that you can get out there. Uh, so that is something that I think can help a lot the industry in general and also the client base. So we remove part of the fog surrounding the ground level that I was mentioning, the is, is, is BQP under NP. What well, we think we know that's that's not true, right? Um, does it mean that we cannot get some business advantage by using quantum inspiring algorithms or quantum annealers or, or a combination of hybrid uh, algorithms that take the best of both worlds? I think the answer is yes, but we need to you know navigate through the fog. So my next to last question, and thank you, Sergio, for that. Just touching on the point of benchmarks. If I were benchmarking a CPU, I could use Passmark. And if I'm benchmarking machine learning algorithm, I could use MLPerf. Is there or should there be a standard benchmark for um, TSP? Maybe Sam quickly and then Murray. Yeah, I think the, the problem of benchmarking, uh, it's a critical one, I, I agree, because um, for many problems, at least in the quantum computing, we know that they're theoretical, that, that, that should be an advantage. But in the case of optimization problems, and of course, uh, TSP is no, no exception, uh, we don't have that theoretical advantage uh, in principle, as far as I know, and, and we won't have it in general. So we know that even if we have a quantum computer, the complexity of the of the problem is going to grow exponentially. Now that doesn't mean that there is that we are not going to find an advantage because uh, we are using heuristics and we can use uh, one processor, one algorithm, and then we can find an advantage uh, using uh, those means. Uh, 
so yeah, th- there is no way but to benchmark different solutions and uh, for real use cases, uh, it's uh, just a matter of finding a real business value. I think that's what we ha- we, all, we all have to do. And in that sense, I think we have to, all, all of us, to, to make an effort to invite all the quantum community to start doing these benchmarks and then to, to compare solutions to find the truth, right? Yeah, this is what matters in the end and to find value and to make progress in society using these technologies. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point. I mean, the, the, you know, one of the excellent things about having these new emerging technologies is that we're pushing each other to do better, just like the point that Sergio was making there, which I thought was a, an excellent point. The, the uh, solving problems like the traveling salesman problem that where, you know, the complexity is explosive, um, you know, you, it's not like <clears throat> other problems where you basically say, well, I can show you that this is the best way to solve the problem, you know? the smallest number of additions that you can turn this into is this many, it's N, and then, you know, this is how many we're doing per nanosecond. And as a result, this is the fastest way to do it. It's very much more like, well, a hundred people have tried this problem and this is how well they did. And I was able to do a little bit better than them. You know, it's, it's more of a relative comparison. And so um, that's how, you know, uh, quantum, you know, there's a researcher named Carlton Coffrin at uh, Los Alamos National Laboratories, you know, and he really remarked that, What's fantastic about quantum annealing is that I think it's going to advance the entire optimization field because they now have something to compare themselves to that's not classical computing at all. So its fundamental methods and its its scaling curves are going to be different. And that is actually causing people to then look at, you know, open up their eyes to like, well, maybe it is possible for a classical algorithm to do better. And that's causing them to explore that space better. We are, you know, we're constantly looking for online benchmarks in a variety of spaces. Um, certainly if you're going to just like do native surface of the earth, one, you know, traveler, um, TSP problems, um, <clears throat> we're not going to do as well. And it's because we're not optimizing to do extremely well in that space because we were talking with companies about the industrial problems that they're doing. And, you know, it might not be obvious to everyone, but there's this no free lunch theorem in these algorithm spaces, which is that you design an algorithm for a particular class of instances of a problem. And if it, it's the best algorithm at that, it will absolutely be worse at another group of problem instances, right? The, the choices that you have to make. So for instance, like if your optimization problem, the solution space is a bowl, the fastest algorithm is to run downhill. And the moment that you start to get some undulations in the surface of the bowl, that's no longer the, set, the fastest algorithm. But both of those algorithms are important when you, you don't know what the structure of the problem you're trying to solve. And herein lies the you know, point that Sergio is making about business benchmarks is that how do people orient themselves when they're trying to create industrial solutions in these incredibly complex spaces, right? It's, it's very challenging at a detailed level, you know, with the technology stack that people are looking at, because, you know, if I work with two people in, you know, vacation scheduling, you know, nurses and let's say, um, you know, people in who work in airports or something like that, the context, the details of how they run their businesses actually change the quality of solutions and the approach, the formulation, as Samuel was saying, that you would take in those two cases. Um, however, businesses do compare themselves, right? And certainly, you know, when we're talking to people about Save on Foods and we say we took an important grocery optimization problem from 25 hours down to two minutes, there are other people who are doing business operations who are saying, okay, well, I can understand some of the complexities of grocery optimization. You know, that's, that's a reference point. And I think as we do better, as we get more of these use cases built, there will be more of these contextual reference points that Sergio was talking about, which will be important for businesses to, to try to make com- comparisons and orient themselves. Excellent. So Sam, Murray, Sergio, 
how can people get in touch with you to learn more about your work? Uh, well, yes, you know, visit our website, uh, inspirationq.com, or just get in touch with me directly through LinkedIn and Twitter or whatever. Yeah, yeah. you will be welcome. Uh, yeah, the, I mean, you can find me on LinkedIn, I guess, uh, if you're if you're looking for me specifically, uh, you know, D-Wave Systems, if you want to learn about um, our quantum computing systems, uh, come and check out our website. You can also get free access to our quantum computers through our Leap cloud service. So if you search D-Wave and Leap, as in like jump, um, you can sign up, you can get access to the systems um, in our, our open source code examples. I was going to say for, for developers, maybe the more natural way would be to go through our, our GitHub uh, SDK and our open source examples there and start looking through our, our Python and, and C toolkits. Um, and then also for businesses, you know, we often uh, work with them to, you know, help them through a, a phased approach in terms of discovery to proof of concepts um, called our launch program. So, uh, you know, contacting us through sales uh, is a great way to get connected with, you know, how do I build, identify business you know, problems that are suitable or quantum computing and quantum hybrid approaches are suitable uh, and then start to build them out. So I, I I won't be able to give anyone cloud access to any algorithm because I don't have that. But uh, uh, feel free to go to quantumpirates.substack.com or look up for me on on LinkedIn as well and on what we do on Moody's in in quantum. Especially interested if you have a, a good uh, exponential solution for uh, the TSV or any other algorithm. I would really love to to hear you and then put on the challenge of uh, improving on 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 each other's results and. and standing on top of giant shoulders, I guess. Excellent. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you very much.